Well, as Burley Grimes once said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Just a tweet surfaced from Bob Nightingale. The Milwaukee Brewers will receive shortstop Joey Ortiz and pitcher D.L. Hall from the Orioles for Corbin Burns. And apparently Jeff Passan had it first. That's Ooh, huge. Corbin Burns to Baltimore. That is huge. Good for them. Just as we go on. What a coincidence. Wow. <laughs> uh, no words. Um, they get their owner, and we'll be talking about that later. But uh, okay. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to the 1920 episode of Championship or Bus with Mac, Zach, and Josh. We got quite a bit to cover today. Very Hall of Fame heavy. Um, we'll be hitting on the Hall of Fame clash results as well. So we got a lot to cover. So let's get right down to the game breakdowns. All right, so 1920 World Series. Again, a best of nine that would feature the American League champion, Cleveland Indians, and the National League champion, Brooklyn Robins. The series is played anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. We're saying it now. Oh, my We're saying God. it now. It's history. Get over history. it. History, exactly. Okay. So this series was played under a dark shadow with the Black Sox scandal breaking just a few days before the end of the regular season, as we talked about in the last episode. And all the responsible players got suspended. And at the time, the White Sox were actually in pretty close contention for the AL pennant. And it would have been quite the story if they had actually, you know, been able to win the pennant with, you know, half their players getting uh, suspended by the league. Uh, but they ended up falling short to the Indians, who would end up claiming their first ever pennant. Now, Cleveland was under a shadow themselves uh, due to some unfortunate events on August 16th. Indians fan favorite shortstop Ray Chapman was at the plate in the fifth inning of a game at the Polo Grounds against the New York Yankees. Carl Mays was on the mound, a submarine thrower who was known like every other player at the time to dirty the ball, you know, doctor it up with something. And the way the balls were at the time, they were known to become misshapen and kind of hard to see, especially in an early afternoon game when it was overcast and a little bit rainy. And Mays ended up throwing one that got away from him and it hit Chapman in the head. And they said that Chapman didn't even move. Probably didn't even see the ball. Uh, the sound of the ball was so loud hitting his head. Mays thought it hit the bat. And he ended up playing the ball out through at the first base. But Chapman didn't really move. He just took a few steps and stumbled and fell. Um, players from both teams rushed out of the dugouts. The umpires were calling for doctors. Um, and Chapman ended up getting helped off the field. And as he was... Carried off the field, he mumbles, I'm all right, tell Maze, don't worry, call my wife. <laughs> and then falls uh. unconscious. And the doctors would operate on a fractured skull that night. And he survived the operation, but a couple hours later, about 4.40 in the morning, he ends up dying. And his pregnant wife was not able to get there in time. She didn't get there until a couple hours later. Uh. Wow. Very sad. Yeah, I do remember this now, now that you guys brought it up. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just awful. No matter how many times you hear it, it's just terrible. absolutely terrible. Yeah, and, and guys still wouldn't wear helmets for years after this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lot of outrage directed at Mays. Uh, players from the Red Sox and Tigers drew up petitions um, and gave it to the American League president and tried to get him, tried to get Mays banned from baseball. And Mays was like, the ball was wet and got away from me. Like, there, there was no reason yeah. for me to hit the guy in the game. And he called it the most regrettable incident of his career. And Can you imagine he was, with that guilt? 
Yeah, know. he said he would do anything to take it back. Yeah. Um, He's awful. Poor guy. And Tris Speaker, the player manager and future Hall of Famer, uh, uh, player manager of the Indians, basically said, uh, you know, it's a duty of all the players for the good of the game to just, you know, it, it happened. Let, you know, we have to get over it. It was nothing. It was not intentional or anything. Um, and even though the guys tried to get uh, Mays banned, uh, the president of the American League didn't. He said there was no reason to. But Mays ended up going to seclusion for about 10 days after his death. And when New York went to Cleveland for a series later in the year, he, he didn't go with the team. It really weighed heavily on him. Can't blame Obviously. him. Yeah, I can't blame him for that. Yeah. Um, the unions would end up wearing black armbands for the rest of the season, and they would end up dedicating a plaque in Chapman's memory, which has moved with the team throughout the years and is still currently in the stadium that they play in now. And Chapman would be inducted into the Indians Hall of Fame in 2006. He was only 29 years that. old. Yeah. Sad, sad story. I'm trying to think of like anything that compares to it, and I'm I'm struggling. Like obviously, like Jose Fernandez comes to mind, Tyler Skaggs, but just the idea of it being on the field of play, on the field, in front so of you everybody. Um, Demar Hamlin almost, but obviously he didn't. I pass thought about Demar Hamlin as well. Obviously, he was you know the the alternative, the miracle story. Yeah. And it was also just a function of the time period because who knows? Like you know, nowadays people get hit in the head and with fat, with assuming assuming faster pitches. And they end up okay. So it's probably just the advancement of the time, too. Yeah. yeah. Very, uh, very sad story. So, moving on. Uh, game one of the series take place on t- Tuesday afternoon, October 5th at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. Cleveland Ace and Spitballer, Spitballer Stan Kovaleski would hold the Robins to just five hits and one run. In a complete game with Steve O'Neill providing RBI doubles in both the second and fourth inning in support for a 3-1 win for the Indians. Game two saw Robins pitcher Burley Grimes throw a complete game shutout to tie the series at one with Jimmy Johnson and Zach Wheat providing the offense. In game three, Brooklyn scores twice in the first inning on hits by Zach Wheat and High Myers that chase Cleveland starter Ray Colwell from the game. And the, uh, the only run winning pitcher Sherry Smith would give up and the three-hitter was a Tris Speaker double that got misplayed in left field. So an error, of course. Right. Uh, game four, so the Indians coming out swinging, chasing the Robins starter in the first inning, and the two relievers that came on for him really didn't do much better. Um, and again, Stan Kovaleski cruised through another one-run complete game. Series is tied at two. Going into game five, or the Indians came out flying, scoring four runs in the first inning, never looking back. This game has got a couple of firsts here. So Cleveland second baseman Bill Wambigans, affectionately known as Wamby, That's turned an neat. unassisted triple play. Wow. Yay. Caught a line drive off the bat of Clarence Mitchell, stepped on second, and then tagged the runner out, running between first and second. It is the only ever unassisted triple play in postseason history. Now, the batter Mitchell would end up making even more history by grinding into a double play in his next to pad, <laughs> being responsible for five outs in a two-at-bats man. Amazing. That is, that's interesting. Now, this game also saw the first-ever World Series Grand Slam over the bat of Cleveland's Elmer Smith, which was the four runs in the first inning, as well as the first home run by a pitcher 
Cleveland's Jim Bagby Sr. will get that record. <laughs> so, Game 6 was a whopping 94 minutes long. I couldn't oh, even imagine that. Wow. Just it's 10 like hits. I don't know. 10 hits and one run between the two teams. Cleveland's Dustin Males would throw a three-hit shutout and a lone run of the game coming in a two-out rally with a Tris Speaker single and a George Burns double. Those that, that was the only offense of the entire game. 94 minutes. Insane. Manfred would love that. He would. He would absolutely love that. Now, with the Indians up four to two and Robbins getting shut out in game six, you'd think they'd come out hitting better. They did not. <laughs> they would get shut out again. Stan Kovaleski would throw his third complete game of the series, this time a shutout. The Indians getting a 3-0 win and their first ever World Series victory, with the Indians celebrating in front of their home fans and dedicating this victory to Ray Chapman. Nice. So we are up to the Hall of Famers. Now, this World Series was very Hall of Fame heavy, but in terms of Hall of Fame, it's kind of weird to say about Hall of Famers. It was definitely quantity over quality for the most part. Um, but we'll start with the umpires as we always do. And I'm going to actually spend a little more time on this than I normally do. Because this is only the second World Series with three Hall of Fame umpires to this point. The first was in 1908. So shameless plug, go check out the 1908 episode to hear all of the umpire <laughs> talk when we were young and nowhere near as confident and skilled as we three studs are now. Uh, but Bill Clem got in, Tom Connolly got in, and Hank O'Day got in. And at the time, there were four umpires calling the World Series. So you have three Hall of Famers and a name that stuck out from our 1903 episode, Bill Deneen, if you remember him. Yes, yes. So Bill Deneen and three Hall of Fame umpires were the four guys assigned to this series. Wow. So definitely a pretty significant um, World Series for the history of umpires. Uh, but moving on to... Uh, the more quote-unquote relevant Hall of Famers. We have the losing Robbins. Um, Wilbert Robinson, again, uh, he was a manager, second and final pennant, uh, goes 0-2 in the World Series. I got to be honest, he's barely over – I think he's one game over 500. I don't really get why he's a Hall of Famer. I, I just don't. I'm sure there was some sort of influence thing back then. Maybe like he could have been the – I mean, the team was literally called the Robbins because of him. Yes. I know, but he was a 500 manager who made two pennants – Yahoo. Uh, you don't have to be good to be liked. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it shouldn't be the Hall of Light. That's my problem. <laughs> well, um, today's Hall of Light. I, I think it kind of is sometimes. Yeah, I, I like it, it. It shouldn't be. We'll get to that later. We will definitely be discussing that. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> moving on to other basement guys. Rube Marquard, we've talked about several times. Uh, frequent flyer here in the World Series. <laughs> uh, fifth World Series, and he goes 0-5 in his career. In this particular series, he was 0-1 with a 3 ERA. Three runs in nine innings, so not too bad. Uh, six to three strikeout-to-walk ratio. But he is the basement dweller, and that's where he'll remain. <laughs> Zach Wheat, second and final World Series appearance. Um, he This was his second appearance having his law and a second loss. So he went nine for 27, uh, had a 333 average, two doubles, two RBIs, and a 765 OPS. So he didn't play bad. Uh, just a uh, losing effort. Um, oh, that's I a respectable him, numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I have him in my hole though. Level one, the 14th left fielder. I have him between Fred Clark, who we've talked about and Jim Rice, who's a more modern hall of famer. We will eventually be talking about him. Um, the Robins do have one newcomer hall of famer. So welcome to championship or bust Burley Grimes, as Josh mentioned, 
Uh, just a little more about the career. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1964. Uh, he had a 270 and 212 career record, a 3.53 ERA, and just over 1,500 strikeouts. He had two top five MVP finishes, but he had a whip over 1.3, a war of 52.9, and an ERA plus of 108, which puts him right in the smack middle of my basement of my personal <laughs> list. Um, he starts uh, my, my eyes widened when you said that ERA there. Yeah. Uh, you, the ERA and the whip, yeah. uh, I don't know about that one. Pretty high, right? I yeah. mean, he was part of some winning franchises, so you'll you'll hear his name actually in about 10 episodes from now. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about the 30s Cardinals, and I think he was on a Cubs team that was on in the World Series, but um, he ha- he had a rough series here, one and two with a 4.19 ERA, nine runs in 19 innings, and a four to nine strikeout to walk ratio. So Ouch. yikes! But mm-hmm. welcome. Um, he is a Hall of Famer based on what you hear. He is a basement guy, uh, but he is in nonetheless. Um, moving on to the winning Cleveland's. Uh, baseball team, we have Tris Speaker, who was a player manager. Very subtle. Thank you. Uh, Tris Speaker was a player manager, as Josh said. Third and final World Series appearance. He won all three, so he's 3-0 and in the World Series. Uh, before I get to his postseason numbers, I have to talk about his regular season. He hit 388, oh led the God. league in doubles, and had a 1.045 OPS. So he wasn't one of those guys that was kept on for leadership when he got his managerial position, for sure. Um, he did cool off in the World Series, though. He, you know, only hit 320 with an 873 OPS. <laughs> yeah, um, only 320. Yeah. yeah. But I do have him level five, uh, my top level, number three between Ty Cobb and Joe DiMaggio. And I got to be real, when it comes to that position, I have no clue how to rank these guys in my top mm-hmm. five. They really could go in any order, and I'm kind of cool with it. Um, we I do have two newcomers here. Josh talked about – definitely talking about one of them. I don't know if you brought up the other one. But I'll start with the one that I definitely heard, Stan Kovaleski. Uh, yes. He's making his World Series debut. Started off 1-0. Had a dominant, dominant World Series, which you were touching on. To break it down, it was 3-0, less than a 1 ERA, two runs in 27 innings. So we're talking Bumgarner-esque performance here. Through three, through three complete games, you have two yeah. runs. Yep. That's insane. So yeah. career-wise, it wasn't quite as impressive as that. But it was still pretty impressive nonetheless. Um, two fifteen and one forty two win loss record. So it what didn't have the lasting power of some of the guys of his generation, but definitely a clear high winning percentage. He had a two point eight nine ERA and a one twenty seven ERA plus, and he led the league in both ERA and ERA plus twice. He only had nine eighty one career strikeouts, but for perspective, he did lead the league once. So I think that's more of a perspective of the low strikeout totals of the era than him. I do have him in my hole um, as one of the lower level starting pitchers. Uh, he's ranked 52 between Robin Roberts, and I kind of have Catfish Hunter and Louis Tiant like right in the same realm. So I have him below Robin and just above those two. Louis Tiant's not in the actual Hall of Fame, but I think he should be, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of where we're looking at with him. And then last but not least is a well, really. I, I just want to say that they said that he was a really like kind of scary guy to go up against because he 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 would throw at you, and he had no regrets. He yep. would buzz you right off the plate, and he was known to be a tough customer. <laughs> yep. One of the one of the first few guys that was really like that. Oh, for sure. It was Bob Gibson before Bob Gibson. Yeah. But going through, one of my favorite players to talk about like from this time period is Joe Sewell. And I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of his name, but I've seen so many different pronunciations. But he's making his World Series debut, and he's starting off in the wing column, 1-0. 
a very interesting player. And I I was always having difficulty understanding why he was in the Hall of Fame when I first made this list. He was inducted in 1977 by a Veterans Committee. He had 2,200 hits in 1,900 games. He had no power, had a career of 49 home runs. He hit 312 in his career with an OPS of 804, which sounds pretty impressive, but it only creates an OPS plus of 109. He did have four top 10 MVP finishes, but here's the thing about Joe Sewell. He had the lowest strikeout rate of any player in the history of baseball. Wow. Wow. He only struck out once every 73 plate appearances on average. Oh, my God. And you know that random stat that comes out where Tony Gwynn only struck out 434 times in his 20-year career? Right. Yeah. Sewell struck out 114 times his whole career. Wow. His career high in strikeouts, 20. Wow. So – for that, and for that really main, for the main reason, I did elect him in my Mac Holtz Hall list. Um, Grant, I, uh, yeah, I would. I would put him in for that. Yeah, that's impressive. So he is a lower level selection, uh, but he he's an old to what baseball used to be, and should be a favorite of all traditionalist baseball fans. I have him 16th of my 17 Hall of Fame shortstops, and I have him sandwiched. This is gonna sound weird if you listen to the Hall of Fame ballot episode, but I have him between Omar Vizquel and Louis Aparicio. I want to note here that I'm aware I did not vote for Omar on my Hall of Fame ballot. That was not because of his playing career. That was because looking at his allegations, I just could not bring myself to vote for him. So I think 11 gold gloves at shortstop on its own is Hall of Fame worthy, but the allegations were quite frankly disgusting and I didn't want to check the box for him. And I also had 10 guys that I wanted to vote for, so it was an easy one to leave off. But I do think he's a Hall of Fame level player, which is why he's on the list but I wouldn't want to give him my vote if that makes sense. Yep. So I'll leave that there. And those are the Hall of Famers here. So um, we can head right into current events from there. Wow. Awesome. I'm kind of thrown off guard. I, I'm still thinking about um, him not striking out. Sorry. <laughs> no, he, it, it took me a while too. You don't oh, see you know, reference you know, you know Zach loves that. He Absolutely loves the guy not striking out. He's, <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> he can't contain himself. So I'm shocked that all three oh. of us agree that he's the deserving Hall of Famer because some people are like the same metric guy. Singles hitter? Not on him. <laughs> but yeah, some people are. The guy with no him. power and didn't strike out. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Zach loves those guys. Okay. Going to start with obviously the big news. Um, the Orioles, your O's fans, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. You guys are free. Well deserved. You guys Congratulations. Have you just won the AL East. Y- yes. You guys went to hell. And um, you deserve every second of this. I'm so happy for baseball as well. This is just great news. The Angelos family is finally out of the game. They're see ya. in the cell. Yeah, see ya. Uh, <laughs> they're selling Kevin Brown is somewhere dancing in the street. Oh, yeah. $1.75 billion to Baltimore native billionaire David Rubenstein. So he's a local, so that's great. Um, and I'm sure you guys know the ownership group includes guys like Kyle Ripken uh, and former New York City mayor Mike Bloomberg, which is very interesting. And Grant Hill's <laughs> in it, too. Yes, oh, and other sports guys as well. Um, and as we saw, they're already making a big splash, training for Corbin Burns. You know, I they thought got they busy were, quick. Right? Two days. Unbelievable. Good for them, though. Orioles yeah. fans deserve it. I have no problem seeing them pop us. And it could not have come at a better time for a team that is loaded with prospects. Oh, yeah. And, and these guys are going to have to get paid at some point. 
and now you might have people willing, willing to, do to it. spend, right? Because Angelo could not have out. come at a more perfect time. You're not; they're not going to be the Rays anymore. Yep. They just have a prospect. You know that they, they drive up his price, drive up his price, drive up his price, and then trade him away. But how do you Orioles are here to stay? A young guy for Joey Ortiz and DL Hall. Because they burned the bridge with him already. I was going to say he must really not want to be there. Like, he, it must he, be really he said it. He said it, and yeah. the Brewers have pretty much said we don't want you either. Yeah. But to give him up for DL Hall and Joey Ortiz. I mean, you're getting a top pitching prospect and a you know a mid tier hitting prospect yeah. and, a, and a first round pick. Did I they get a lot? No. Bad no. Did they get a not? They didn't get a lot, but you know. I feel like you're better off just. Burns is also on here. an expiring contract too. Yes. And baseball's so all about it is who gets so hot. more than a rental. What'd you say, Mike? But baseball's all about who gets hot. You you know, if you could get into the playoffs, you could sneak through. And the in Brewers a relatively are weak division. They're just mid. You could they're, accept him. I so think mid. the Reds are going to walk away with that division. No, uh, you know, big Frankie Montas yes. there. I don't think so. Uh, I think the Reds are going to run away with that division. They got some I think no way. Back. They're too much better. They're so much better. Just the Reds are better. just they're a good team this year. I Mark my words. Bounce back. Yeah. Um, with what? With Goldschmidt, their... Arenado, and yeah, and Goldschmidt. What else do you need? What pitcher? Don't That's need it. Point. Win every game 9-8. <laughs> mm. What are you, the Toronto Maple Leafs? Leafs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Zach's in that? Right, right. I'm not saying he's going to win him a title, but I'm saying, you know, they, they can make the playoffs. I but don't think that wins in the division. And I think they'll end up buyers at the deadline and grab somebody. I think they'll end up sellers at the deadline. I don't see that team winning games. Is Flaherty still on that team? Jack Flaherty? He is, and he's coming yeah. off of a major injury. Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. But uh, like we were saying, O's got a great, great farm system. And they haven't even Jackson Holiday hasn't even stepped foot in Camden Yards yet. So Adley Rushman's already showed what it takes to be a great leader. I'm sorry, that's a lie. Flaherty is not on the team anymore. Oh, where is he? He's now? on the Tigers. Oh, yes, it's right. Wasteland abomination. I forgot <laughs> I about forgot that. He got traded. <laughs> I forgot. Those are so irrelevant. But yeah, as we were like. Mac pointed out they got Adley, they got Gunnar Henderson. They're they're just ready to go. They're probably the favorites, right? They're definitely the favorites to win the division again. I would say. I would assume yeah. anybody with a brain would say that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they have to be. I mean, we all love the Yankees, but they're not going to beat that team. No. I think we make the playoffs. I don't think we beat the Orioles. Yeah. I think that we come in either second or third. Yeah, in the, the East. Depending on injuries. And then and get and then get yeah. smacked in the first round. Yeah. But no, they they needed a start, like a legit ace, and they got it. Yeah, they did. This is awesome for them. They got their guy. I hope they sign him long term. I hope they do. Well, well I, I, I hope they don't. Uh, as a as an AL East uh, team, right? <laughs> I know, but, but I'm saying, but like, it's, I'm, it is great for I'm them, and it's and it's, and it's good. Purgatory for so long. Yeah, it's good for the sport. I'm kind of. It's okay good for the it. sport. Yeah, that, that a team that was in so bad for so long is is good again. It's no, good for the sport. It's good sell, but that will never happen. The only thing that makes it bad for the sport is that it's going to directly impact Canada, New York, and Boston as potential playoff markets. Oh well, nobody likes Canada anyway. Yeah, Toronto always finds Boston a way. To... Especially Otani. Now I've alienated our one listener. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, speaking of you, Mike, <laughs> we were talking about uh, 
I will hear when the O's um, initially sold, my thought was, oh, they're going to go out and sign Snell or someone. But speaking of Snell, uh, we got a big free agent freeze. We got Snell, Bellinger, Monty, and Matt Chapman all have yet to be signed. And guess who they're all represented by? Scott Boris. Mr. Scott Boris. What a poor. Um, and he's told all of them to look for more money than they're worth. Exactly. Yeah, that was my point. And he has a history of this, too. It usually well, works out, but I don't know about these guys. I mean, dude, for every one of these guys, I mean, Snell got offered, what, five years, $150 million by the Yankees, yep. and he told him no. He wanted a six-year and, and a little more money. Right. He's not worth that. He had two uh, the same thing happened. The same thing happened with Bellinger. Bellinger doesn't even have any serious suitors as of right now because nobody wants him. I he's going to back, he's gonna end up going back to the Cubs with his, with his, with yeah. his tail between his legs. As he should. And I like Montgomery. Contract year. And don't get me wrong, I like Montgomery. You know, I've liked him for a long contract. time. He's a three or he's a three four starter. Right. He will never be anything more than that. Yeah. He's a yep. good three four starter, but he's not worth whatever Boris I'm sure is looking for. Whatever yeah. Eduardo Rodriguez got is what Monty should get. Yeah. Not who is the who is the last guy? Chapman. Not Chapman. Uh, Chapman shouldn't even be in baseball anymore. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I I yeah, do not I do not no move on. I do not like his game at all whatsoever okay. at this stage in his career, especially here in the Yankees being tied to him. The Yankees sign him. We need to. Well, he's Josh put, put Chad. We need to put Cashman into that cab and drive him out of the city. Yeah, forever. he'd just be another Donaldson because he can feel exactly well, but he can't hit. So, uh... and what team wants to spend a lot of money on a guy that can't hit? Because he had a decent year last year. Yeah, I mean, but for the five years prior, where Toronto was talking about running him out of the running him out of the you know out of the country, yeah, yeah, no one's that dumb. Yeah, I know. Mac was saying historically, Boris has like been really good at this and like you know outplaying men, like teams and all that. But I, I think he's overplayed his hand this year. I'm really not sure it's going to work out. I think he does overplay his hand a lot though. Like there was mm. a year. I think it was Kimbrel or somebody like that who was basically waiting until March to get signed. Yeah, what spring training is what three weeks away? Because he's a Boris client, right? Yes. That's uh, what I thought, and he took it took him a while to get signed. That's just I don't know. I mean, obviously for for guys like Soto or something, you know, you you can wait, like you know, no brainer guys, but guys like you know who got flaws in their game. You, you, sometimes it's not going to work out like that. Yeah, I just don't see it. No, I don't. I don't see it. Um, hopefully, they get signed soon. Like, like I said, I mean, you want to add another one to that list? JD Martinez is also unsigned, and guess who his agent is? Right. And he's he's another one. You know, well, he had 40 he's old. Bombs, but... He's old. He's a DH. Yeah. He's a deal. Be a good DH. Yeah. But a lot of teams are like, I'm not. Spending this kind of money, JD Martinez is still unsigned. Yeah, that's For some crazy. Reason, I thought I thought the Dodgers signed was him. Not? Reason. I don't know why. Well, he was on the Dodgers. I thought last year. I know. I thought they re-signed. I guess it might have been just a rumor that I misread. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think they did. No, they didn't. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, not sure if we touched on this last pod, but. Josh Hader to the Astros? Did we we didn't because we recorded right before right it happened. It's just despicable. The rich get richer. I hate it. <laughs> but today was a win for the little guy, which is why I can tolerate the Orioles signing uh, Burns long term. 
So I think that's kind of a symbol. Sure. I mean, Hater is an elite closer, and you know it kills us yes. a lot more than the Orioles getting Burns does, honestly, because it's the Astros. I'd much rather yep. see the Orioles do well. Oh, I 100 agree. But I mean, good for them, I guess. We're just yeah. gonna do the same thing. It'll be Dodgers Astros again. Honestly, hopefully the Dodgers get their revenge on it, and we'll move on to next year. Oh, like we said, if the Dodgers don't win the World Series in the next three to five years. It's a failure. If they don't win three World Series in the next five years, it's a failure. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything I had. I'm going to throw it back over to Max. We can go through the Hall of Fame ballot results. Yes. So, mixed bag this year. Uh, very happy for the three inductees. So, when we did our episode, we unanimously picked four people. Three of them actually got in. So, that was awesome. Uh, Adrian Beltre, who was polling at 99% before the announcement, uh, finished with 95.1. So I guess some picky voters. You know, yeah, it was the picky. What, one or two people that didn't vote for that guy. <laughs> Originally, but then it wound up like, I think, how many people voted? Let's see. Uh, 385. So that means 19 people didn't vote for him. Oh, my God. Yeah, 95.1%. Still in the higher echelon. Sure. Uh, first Hall of Famers, but um, and then second was with 307 votes was Todd Helton, 79.7 percent. He only needed a few, but he grew to 7.5 percent. He was a coin flip at the time. Um, I know Jason Sardell, who does a lot of projection models, had him as a coin flip. Um, and he had less votes than Maurer prior to um the announcement, and he jumped Maurer significantly. Um, but I have to say I'm most happy about seeing Joe Maurer be a first ballot Hall of Famer at 76.1. I thought yeah. this was a no-brainer. I did not expect the writers to put him in on the first ballot. I was ready to start a Twitter campaign for him. I'm thrilled that Joe Maurer got in. He made it in by four votes, and he's only the third catcher to ever be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Wow. Johnny Bench, Pudge Rodriguez, Joe Maurer. Wait, That's it. No Yogi Berra? He did not make it on the first ballot. What, what what politics or something back then? A lot of it just came down to the fact that um, stack ballots in some years, like we had, you know, in the steroid ballots. Um, also, just some guys back then. Um, in the case of Joe DiMaggio, because Joe DiMaggio wasn't the first ballot Hall of Famer either. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening was they were allowing guys to get in when they were at, like, get on the ballot when they were active, and people withheld the vote. Because they uh, wanted him to be retired a certain amount of time. Okay. So it took DiMaggio four ballots to get in because uh, of that. In the case of Yogi, he retired in 1965, and he didn't go on the ballot for the first time in 1971. I have no idea why he didn't get voted Dude, on. He has eight rings. Like, <laughs> Well, here might be why. No one got in that year. It looks a lot like 2013 because oh. here were the guys on the ballot. Yogi Berra, Early Wynn, Ralph Kiner, Gil Hodges, Ennis Slaughter, Johnny Mize, Pee Wee Reese, Red oh. Sheendians, George Kell, Hal Newhauser, Phil Rizzuto, Bob Lemon, Duke Snyder, Bobby Doerr, Nellie Fox, Richie Ashburn, all are Hall of Famers now. Yeah. And on top of that, you have Marty Marion, who is an MVP, Allie Reynolds, who's a borderline Hall of Famer, Johnny Vandermeer, who threw two no-hitters in two straight days, Dom DiMaggio, Mickey Vernon, Don Newcomb, and several others. So it, it honestly just probably came down to a loaded ballot. But anyway, going back to the current guys, so those three guys were in: Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer. Could not. Oh, I got a I got a Maurer story if you want to hear it. Hit me. I got a wild. This is kind of a wild one. 
um, Max Scherzer and Joe Maurer were in heated battles when Maurer was on the Tigers. And I'm not Maurer, I'm sorry. Well, Scherzer, was, oh, yeah, Scherzer yeah, yeah. was on the Tigers. Um, and Scherzer could not get Maurer out. Whatever, nothing that he threw could get Maurer out. Maurer is just that good of a hitter. And after four years of this, Scherzer decided, I have to get this guy out. I have to strike this guy out. And invented a brand new pitch on the spot. Are you serious? And started throwing a cutter. Because he couldn't get Joe Maurer out. Wow. And for the first time ever, struck out Maurer by throwing an inside cutter. That's and that is one of Scherzer's most used pitches now. Later, later in his career. Um, and he invented it simply because he could not get Maurer out. Wow. That's Max Scherzer. <laughs> yeah. But I'm thrilled that Joe Maurer got in. I, I thought it was going to be a three or four ballot drive. And it shows, like, we'll never really be able to fully predict what these voters do. Um, which is what gives me anxiety about who missed just short was Billy Wagner, who fell short by five votes. Um, he grew 5.7%. So he was a guy who was also a coin flip to get in this year. He has one more year. He needs to get basically five more votes to get in. I think he will get it, but I really was hoping for it to be this year so that we wouldn't have to worry about it. And plus, like in every interview, like he was so candid about like how nervous he was and how like excited he was to possibly be in this position. He just seems like such a nice, nice dude. I wanted to see it happen for him. And when you look at the numbers, like I think he's second in strikeouts per nine, second in ERA plus among all pitchers who threw 900 innings or something like that. He has some freakish dominant regular season stats. It didn't match in the postseason, but it was a very small sample size. I really, really hope that he gets in next year. But I, you know, it stinks that it wasn't this year for him. Um, gone from the ballot is Gary Sheffield who looked a lot closer in bat in the polling. Wait, he's gone from the ballot? I, I thought that guy that didn't vote for him said he's still going to be there. Yeah, Marcus Breton. I don't know, buddy. What happened? But yeah, so you needed 289 votes to get in. He fell 43 votes short when he was polling around 74 to 75% the whole time. So the small hall voters had no interest wow. in voting for Gary Sheffield. And he finished 63.9%, which was less than Bonds and Clemens finished with. Which I think is honestly pretty consistent. I mean, I would have been annoyed if Sheffield was in the hall and Bonds and Clemens weren't. The same way I'm annoyed that Ortiz is in the hall when Bonds and Clemens aren't. Yeah. I think they're all kind of in the same group of guys who didn't get suspended, but have a lot of suspicion and or evidence against them. Yeah. So I, I think that's pretty consistent that, you know, he got slightly less than Bonds and Clemens finished with. Um, I want to skip down for a second because I'm going to skip a couple people for now because a lot of people dropped in this voting. And I know the ballot got a little stronger, but yikes. <laughs> I mean, there were some solid size drops. And Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez are not moving at all. They both dropped between a half of a percent and one percent. There's no chance. That they're sucks. they're just sitting. They're they're not going to move either way, um, whether you like that or not. It's just how it is, and I don't like it. It stinks. Terrible. But if Sheffield Bonds and Clemens finish there, 
and A-Rod and Manny are dropping in percentage, there is zero chance that they're getting in from the BBWAA. I love it. Okay. I know you do, and you stink. We're going back up. So after Gary Sheffield, we had two guys finish above 50%. We had Carlos Beltran, who finished with 57.1, and Andrew Jones, who finished just above him at 61.6. But they have two very different trajectories. So Carlos Beltran's in his second year, and he grew 10.6%. Andrew Jones went from growing about 17% last year to only 3.5% this year. I'm nowhere near as hopeful on his candidacy as I was. Those three candidates, Wagner, Jones, and Beltran, are three of the five holdovers that climbed up. And they're the only three who had an increase of more than 2%. So as I said before, A-Rod and Manny dropped. Omar Vizquel dropped 2%. No problem with that. Bobby Abreu dropped 0.6%. Andy Pettit dropped 3.5%. Mark Burley dropped 2.5%. And K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, dropped 2% despite getting two of our votes. That I can't stand. Even though he's in the same boat as Andrew Jones, I would have no problem with it if that's the reason. But... Francisco Rodriguez, based on pure baseball reasons, should have a higher vote. I don't know how he lost votes within because the last year. People and you only have a 10-person limit. He was a victim of the 10-person limit. I, I just think, uh, To me, he's a very similar player to Wagner. Yes. I think once so Wagner I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to, and it sounds so stupid, is I think writers don't want to vote for two relievers at the same time. Oh, it sounds like me. I mean, we have Zach who didn't yeah. vote for any relievers because well, they're not important according saying, to him. But I think there are people who are voting for Wagner who are not – well, actually, there are people who are voting for Wagner and are not voting for K-Rod as evidenced by the almost 70% difference them. in their percentages. But I think once Wagner gets in, a really sizable chunk of those voters will end up adding K-Rod on their ballot. I, I think that will make a huge difference next year. Um, the two guys who gained percentage – was Jimmy Rollins, who gained 1.9%, uh, and Corey Hunter, whopping who 1%. 0.4. 0.4. Oh, <laughs> oh, my God. My God. So, so these are the guys who gained. Billy Wagner, Did he, like, gain, like, half a vote? <laughs> what? Yeah, really. Did he gain, like, half a vote? He gained, like, a vote. Uh, two votes, it would have been about. Jesus. So I guess he got two more votes relative to percentage than he did last year. Um, As you know, it would be one vote. But anyway... Billy Wagner gained 5.7. Andrew Jones gained 3.5. Carlos Beltran gained 10.6. So he almost doubled the second highest gainer. And then it's just Rollins and Hunter who had less than a 2% gain. Everybody else who was a holdover from last year that didn't get in fell in the ballot. Wow. Which makes me think, honestly, the only one who I'm really confident in of this group besides Wagner is Beltran. I think there was also a lot of strong newcomers that might have had to do with it as well. Which, exactly. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that it only gets stronger. Next year, we have another three guys coming on, which basically replaced the three of the four guys who are getting in. Um, Because we have four guys off the ballot now in the three who got in in Sheffield. So you have Ichiro, CeCe, Felix Hernandez, and you have, I mean, some people, the people who voted David Wright, who survived on the ballot as well, (sighs) Are probably going to vote for Dustin Pedroia. Oh God! Or Troy Tulowitzki, one of the. All right, well, I'm saying if you vote for Dustin Pedroia and not Chase Utley, what are you doing? <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to get to. And Chase Utley honestly had a very strong showing. 
People were very I'm pleased. People were disappointed after because he was pulling at 40%. I think he dropped a little bit more than that. Oh, I, I am insanely disappointed in that because the people that voted early, he was pulling really high. Like he was almost close to 50%. But I think and he they dropped said on the pod super that far. he was going to pull around 20 he was going to get about 25%. 25 yeah. to 30%. So I Overall, I'm pleased. You should be pleased. And I think he is getting in ultimately in the future. But like looking at this group based on trajectory, I think Utley's in a very good place. I think Beltron is going to get in within 2 years. Andrew Jones has three more ballots to get another 14%. He only grew 3.5 this year. I think he does get in. I think he deserves to get in, but I'm I if I'm an Andrew Jones if I'm one of those guys campaigning for Andrew Jones, I'm a little nervous. And I think Wagner does get in next year. Our lovable losers that fall off this ballot. Jose uh, Bautista <laughs> and Victor Martinez, six yeah. votes. Bartolo Colon, five oh, votes. Matt Holiday, four votes. That's a shame. Adrian Gonzalez, three votes. Brandon <laughs> Phillips, one vote. And Jose Reyes and James Shields, zero votes apiece. What? Who voted for Brandon Phillips? I need to know. Well, one listener wanted to vote for him. Hi, Mike. <laughs> two shout-outs. No way. Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer inducted. All those other guys fell off. So that creates four new spots on my ballot next year for some new holdovers. For Chase Utley. No. So my the newcomers, the notable newcomers, Felix Hernandez, Dustin Pedroia, CeCe Sabathia, Ichiro Suzuki. I don't know why it was in that order, but it was. <laughs> I was like, that is um, not so from that order. Just here. saving the two shoe wins for last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, Edwin Jackson, Adam Jones, Ian Kinsler, Russell Martin. Edwin Wyatt Jackson McCann. retired? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Apparently. Five years ago? <laughs> Hanley Ramirez. Oof. God, I feel old, dude. <laughs> wow. Fernando Rodney. Oh, wow. I didn't realize he's out of the lead that long. Jeremy Hellickson. Yeah, we know Carlos don't Gonzalez, David Freese. <laughs> oh, man. So... We have two guys who I think we're all going to vote for next year in each row and CC, I'm assuming. No oh, yeah. surprises there. Wait, yeah. uh, quick question. Would Ichiro be the first guy to be in both the Japanese Hall and the um, Pro Baseball Hall of Fame? Good question. I think so. I think he would be the first, right? I think he would. Because Hideo Nomo's not in. Matsui's definitely not going to be in. Matsui's not in. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because if the baseball hall of fame worked like the basketball and hockey hall of fame, Matsui would have been a borderline unanimous guy. That's interesting. You know, like, I've always thought about that with football and baseball. Like if you took like, and you made it the totality of their entire career, whether they were in, whether it was in the United States or anywhere else or including college career and, you know, mm-hmm. world baseball classic and all that stuff, Hideki Matsui would have been a shoe in. Huh. I think I think the story is is less of a guy being in the Japan the Japanese baseball hall of fame. There's not a single Asian in the American baseball hall of fame. Oh wow! Not I one. didn't even think about that. There's not one. Wow. Yeah. So he would be the first. Yeah. In the American baseball hall of fame. Look at him. I mean, there's got to be other guys that are following his path. Obviously. Well, yeah. I'm just gonna Otani say, Otani would get in the hall of fame if he retired tomorrow. I don't want to get yeah. into that battle, but he will. No, he would. Like, let's not even argue that. Yeah, like, uh, definitely. So, 
but um, I'm sure there's other guys coming. I mean, you Darvish had potentially if he's another guy like Matsui, where if he if the two leagues were merged and they did a Hall of Fame like basketball, you Darvish probably gets in too. That's interesting. But yeah, I and, guess he'll stay but, like that until Tani gets in and they can share the spotlight. Yeah, but we'll definitely be eyeing that and for next year. I'm really going to be considering Felix Hernandez, man. I'm also looking at our list here, by the way. I gotta look at his numbers. Uh, Ichiro is not in the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame right now. How is he not? I think he's not eligible. I thought he, for some reason, I thought he was already in. I mean, Akimatsu is. Is It might be one of those things where you have to be retired five years from professional baseball in general, because that's how the College Football Hall of Fame works. Wow. So you might have to be retired from major league play as well. So my mistake then. Didn't but no, you're that. still right because he might just get in Cooperstown before there. I mean, yeah. he's going to get in there. Yeah. Maybe he isn't. Maybe I'm missing something here. I mean, we definitely have guys in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and the National Baseball Hall of Fame. But I don't know about – I don't. I guess not. It's a great question. Interesting thing to think about. Because him and Otani will be, too. Now, my question for you guys. Let's do it early. Over, under, each row, Hall of Fame percentage. 99. If, um, over. Yeah, oh, definitely over. I'm going if under. Getting 95, he's got to get, like, 95. I'm going under. Stop I think enough, people, I think enough people are going to – I'm not saying that he should be under 99. I'm saying that he will be over 99. Uh, he will be under 99 because the voters are idiots. Yeah. You're telling me that, like – the small like there's gonna be five morons who don't vote for him. Unreal. And the justification will be not enough playoff performance or something stupid like that. Dude, singles hitter, my favorite. You think he ends up unanimous? No, I don't think. I think you're right. I think he'll be 99 or something around there. And since the balloting, since the public stuff started with Ryan Thibodeau, there have been three guys who have been unanimous on public ballots, where no one's come out and admitted that they voted against the guy. It's Griffey, it's Jeter, it's Mo. I think he might be the fourth one to join that club, but I think there will be at least one guy on the side who doesn't vote for him. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way, but I think it will be that way. CC is a guy who I didn't think would be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think Maurer getting in on ballot one makes me think that the voters don't care as much about that first ballot, quote-unquote, stigma anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a chance now for CC to get in on the first ballot. And I think there's such a push for the writers to put in starting pitchers because they all think starting pitchers are so underrepresented. And like there's certain guys that they've been campaigning for, like David Cohn, for example, and Johan Santana. Uh-huh. And there's a few other guys. I think that CC is going to get traction, and I think Felix Hernandez is going to get traction. He might. If Mark Burley's hanging around five ballots, Felix Hernandez deserves like 50% of the vote. Yeah. Oh, so, so Ichiro is eligible for the Japanese Hall of Fame in 2025, so he'd be up for induction. We'll make both. both in together. Same, in the same year, yeah. So, so next year, we're both. pretty much looking at Ichiro, Sabathia, Wagner. And it's going to be a big year for Andrew Jones. It's going to be a big year for Chase Utley. And it's going to be a big year for Carlos Beltran. 
because then we'll really see what Josh was saying before. Like, I don't know how much of it's going to be actually in the pod, but the idea that, you know, Bonds, Clemens, and Sheffield all kind of stagnated at the 60% range. They kept gaining votes and gaining votes, and then they kind of fell. Is there a hard cap on the support for Carlos Beltran? Because technically speaking, you can hang around 67 forever. Okay. You know, I think it's going to be hard to get more people to change their minds. But he did grow significantly. So next year is really going to be the tell for Beltran. He's not going to get in next year, but he might flirt with getting in the 70s. If he's in the 70s, he's going to get in. Mm -hmm. If he stagnates or has like a Jones-level climb that he had this year, then I'll be less bullish on his candidacy. So uh, some other some other uh, current event stuff. Wendy Peralta to the Padres. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's a big one. Four year deal for the lefty reliever. Bye. So now yeah. we say bye bye. Yeah. That's yeah. what's in. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, another another big relievers. Uh, Naris signs with the Cubs. And Good for them. our favorite player, oldest Chapman, signs with the Pirates. Good ah. luck to his career. It's ah. over. Um, Paxton to the Dodgers. He's old, eh, whatever. Joey Gallo, ha, ha, ha. Hate that guy to the Nationals. Uh, David Robertson to Texas. What? That was a National? Yes. Yes. When did that happen? Uh, About a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. Uh, David Robertson to Texas, good for them. Still a decent reliever because he's getting older. Uh, He'll be good for that team. Wow, man. Good Uh, for him. uh, Zach's favorite first baseman, Reese Hoskins, to the Brewers. (laughs) Sad. Uh, very good for the Brewers. Uh, Phillies didn't need him anymore because Harper's gonna be a first baseman. Yeah. <clears throat> Ryan Cashman, <clears throat> you moron. <laughs> uh, and the last one, the big trade of the week: uh, Polanco to uh, Seattle. All right. Yeah, Seattle got fleeced on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Polanco is not that good. <laughs> and that's all I got. And that wraps up our 1920 installment of Championship or Bust. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time for 1921. See you later. Peace.